Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here this morning. Would you stand with me as we call ourselves to worship? It's called This course is called Step by Step. And I want you just to worship him, your heart to his. Oh, God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh, God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways. And step by step you lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. Sing it with me again. Here we go. Oh, God, you are my God. And holy God. Let's worship him as we sing this. Tree. 
I want us to sing that first verse again. Just so let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And we're so thankful for the opportunity to worship. We're so thankful to be able to consider the one who is holy, holy, holy. That he is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our King. And we are his church. We are sons and daughters of the King. And as we come this morning, we recognize that we have some very heavy circumstances on our hearts today. Things that are bigger than us, but they're not bigger than you. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that no matter what we've brought into this place, that, Lord, we take that, whether it's a health concern or a financial concern or a relationship that just seems to be broken and we don't see how it can ever be restored. Whatever the issue may be. Maybe it's a lost loved one and we pray for him and pray for him and pray for him. We don't feel like that we're getting anywhere. But Lord, I pray that we would take whatever that is and we would compare it to the size of you, our God. And would see how small it is in comparison to how infinite you are. And Lord, that we would just trust you with it. We would lay it down there at the foot of the cross and we wouldn't take it back up, but we would trust you to handle it for us. Lord, today I know that there are several who are struggling in a variety of ways. But in particular, those that are praying for the lost. We pray that you would stir hearts today. Maybe it's one who's with us today. Maybe it's one who's watching today. But Lord, you're speaking. And so Lord, I pray that we would see salvation in this place. But also for those of us who are going to receive a word this week to take to someone else. Give us a holy boldness. And prepare those hearts as we go. That we would see fruit. A great harvest. Even this week. Lord, this time is yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 104, 33 says, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will praise, sing praise to my God while I live. Worship him with these courses this morning, your heart to his. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. That is what I want to do. I give you praise, for you are my righteousness. I worship you, O my. God, there is none like you. I sing praises to your name, oh Lord, praises to your name, oh Lord, for your name is great and greatly to I sing praises to your name, oh Lord, praises to your name, oh Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. 
words, I give glory. I give glory to your name. Oh, Lord, glory to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I give glory to your name. Oh, Lord, glory to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be As we come to our time this morning of prayer here at the altar or maybe the altar right there in your home or wherever you may be uh, this morning or maybe right there in your pew, uh, we want to give you an opportunity to begin to just allow God to speak and uh, whatever the issues may be on your heart that um, you're just burdened with, to be able to lay those down this morning and, and to trust the Lord with them. And so uh, if you come this morning and you just want to pray here at the altar, uh, that's fine. If you just want to point up at me, if you want me to pray with you, and I'll most certainly love to be able to minister to you in that way this morning. I'll, I'll put my mask on and everything else, but love to be able to minister to you that way this morning if you need somebody. Um, but whatever the need may be, with every head bowed, with all eyes closed, I want you to know the altar is open at this time. Lord, we love you. This time is yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Would you stand with me? As we sing that great song, revive us again, O oh Lord. Please, that be our prayer today. Here we go. We praise thee, O oh God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who timeless thing earth and heaven will pass away it's not a dream God will make all things new that day gone is the curse from which I've stumbled and fell Evil is banished to eternal hell. No more night, no more pain, no more tears, never crying again. Praises to the great I am, we will live in the light of the risen Lamb. I see all around, now the nations bow down to sing, and the only song 
is a praises to Christ our King. Slowly the names from the book are read, but I know the King, and there's no need to great I am we will live in the light of the risen lamb see over there there's a mansion prepared for me where I will live with my Savior crying again praises to the great I am we will live in the light of the risen lamb we will live in the light of the perfect introduction as we continue our study through the book of Revelation. Turn again this morning to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 and this morning we will be looking at verses 12 through 18 as well as verse 20 as we look at the Lord of glory. As you turn there to Revelation chapter 1 which should be pretty easy for you, last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning uh, for the way that you have already moved in our midst. Lord, the way you've stirred our hearts during worship. And uh, Lord, the opportunities you've given us to pray and give. And now as we study your word, Lord, I pray that you would once again stir our hearts as we, as we focus on your glory and who this revelation is truly revealing. That it is the King of Kings the Lord of lords, the God of heaven and earth, it is Jesus. And Lord, help our attention to be fully and completely focused on him. Lord, I know I'm a very weak vessel, but I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that only you would be seen and only you would be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You'll remember last week, our attention turned for a moment uh, to the Apostle John as he was in the Spirit 
on the Lord's day. And as he worshiped, John hears a voice behind him that sounds like a great trumpet. And that voice seizes his attention and he turns to the source of that great sound. And when John turns around, he sees two things. First, he sees seven golden lampstands that we'll see there in verse 12. And then he sees an individual that he describes as looking like the son of man. Now, this phrase appears in the Old Testament, son of man, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And it's used to speak of the coming Messiah. It's it's used to speak of, of Jesus. And this title was also the favorite title that Jesus used when he spoke of himself throughout the New Testament, son of man. Jesus used that phrase 81 times throughout the Gospels, referring to himself in that messianic term of the son of man. And when Stephen was being stoned, he looked up into heaven there in Acts 7:56, and he saw Jesus, whom he referred to as the son of man. And so when John turns, he sees Jesus Christ. Now this is the first time Jesus has been seen by John in 60 years. Can you imagine? You know what it's like to to miss a friend who has passed away and, 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 and you haven't seen them for many years. Can you imagine what it will be like to see them in heaven? Well, John hadn't seen the Lord face to face in 60 years. And he sure doesn't look anything like he used to. John knew Jesus very well. The Bible seems to indicate in Mark chapter 15 as well as in John chapter 19 that the mother of John and the mother of Jesus were sisters. And so that's true. That means they were cousins. And so that would mean that John knew Jesus even as a child. He knew Jesus as a teacher. He knew him as a, as a miracle worker. He knew him as a servant. He knew him as the greatest soul winner. He watched as Jesus ministered and he watched as Jesus died on an old rugged cross. John saw the empty tomb. John saw the risen Christ. John was there when Jesus ascended back into heaven and John even laid his head on the breast of the Lord Jesus there at the Last Supper. So John, John knew Jesus very well. This is a man who knew the man Jesus. His own testimony is found in 1 John 1.1. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. You want somebody who had first-hand knowledge of Jesus, you go to the apostle John. He knew him. And so in this passage, John sees Jesus as he had never seen him before. In these verses, John sees the Lord of glory. He sees the glorified Christ. And John attempts to do the impossible. He attempts to describe the Lord of glory to us, trying to use human language to try to describe this Lord of glory. So I want you to join John this morning as he gazes into the wonder that is the Lord of glory. Please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Revelation 1, 12 through 18 and verse 20. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt with about the paps with a golden girdle. 
And his head and his hair were like white, like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass. And if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shining in strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as death. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. In verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, the seven golden lampsticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. You may be seated. What an amazing passage of Scripture. What an amazing sight that John is trying to describe here in Revelation chapter 1. So we see the Lord of glory in his majesty here in verses 12 through 16. We see that he is majestic in his activity. When John turns, he sees seven golden lampsticks. These lampsticks or, 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 or lampstands were portable oil lamps which were placed there to light the rooms. And the Jews would have called these the menorah. Now the menorah has seven branches and it was used in the tabernacle. The lampstands were made of gold, we're told, which is the most precious metals. And it was filled with oil in which was placed a wick that would then light and, and, and produce light for, for all that were within that room. The lampstand represents, we see here, the Holy Spirit and his ability to bring light into the world. And the lampstand was a type of Christ that is pictured here. So Jesus came into the world as a man but a man who was filled with the Spirit of God and who served as the light of the world. Once again, it's that picture of the God-man, 100% God while also being 100% man. 100% man while also being 100% God. That is what he is trying to describe with human language. So here we see Jesus in the midst of those seven candlesticks. And the lampstands in this passage are identified for us in verse 20. And that's what I want you to see throughout the book of Revelation, is that it's not complicated. It is a revelation. It is revealing Jesus. And so he describes things in, in these symbolic ways, but then he describes them as they actually are. He explains to us, if we pay attention as we go, what he is telling us. And so we're told that they represent the seven churches that are mentioned there in Revelation chapter 1, verse 11. So the lampstands are gold. It means they represent precious, uh, precious natural churches, that, that ch churches that actually existed. Uh, there is no institution on the face of the earth that is as precious or as beautiful as the church. In fact, the church is so precious to the Lord Jesus Christ that he gave his very blood to purchase it. And so never speak in, in derogatory ways about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never run down your local church because it is the bride of Christ. The Lord loves his church so much that he gave his life for her. 
And we should love his church as well. So there are seven of those lampstands. And again, the seven, number seven is a number of, of, of completeness, of perfection. And so those lampstands, again, stand for these real churches, but also they represent all of the local churches throughout all of the ages. They represent us even here this morning. And so the real message of this, of the lampstands, is their purpose. The lampstands picture the church as the light of the world. Do you understand that? What Jesus has called us to do in the Great Commission is to be the light for the world to see, to take that light into a dark world. Has the world ever been darker than it is right now? Has the world ever needed the church to be a light as much as it does right now? We are called to be that light. That is what is being pictured here this morning. And so that brings me to what I want to say about this verse. Jesus here, pictured as being in the midst of his churches, is what we really want to notice. When we gather, he is always here with us. Amen? When his church gathers, the Lord Jesus Christ is here with us. And that's something amazing. That's something for us to, to thank the Lord for. He's here. He's helping us. He's speaking to us. He's, he's protecting us. He's directing us. He's blessing us. He's encouraging us. He's challenging us. He is in the midst of his people as we live and as we worship and as, as, as we move towards glory together. He is in our midst. And there are times when we recognize his presence. And, and, and you know those days when you just feel the presence of the Lord in, in such a real and powerful way. I mean, there are also times when we forget about him. And when we go through the motions and, and, and try to do it in our own strength, but still, he is with us nonetheless. When we gather together, when we worship, Jesus is here with us. And if we could ever just get about, forget about our, our, our agendas, if we could ever just forget about our order of service, if we could ever forget about our concerns and recognize the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in his church, it would transform our worship. If it wasn't just coming in for another Sunday of sitting in the same place and doing the same thing, if we could truly recognize what we are doing during this time, we would treasure it. We would treasure it, and we would do whatever it takes to be in this place, to be together with our church family, worshiping, because He is here. Thank God. Thank God He loves us and desires to meet with us. Isn't that an amazing thing? That the God of all creation wants to meet with us. That's an amazing thing. You and I may not show up at the place of worship, but Jesus never misses a service. And so I want to be here. If Jesus is here, then I want to be here. And I hope you're the same way. But also we see that he's majestic in his appearance. Look at verses 13 through 16. Here's where John begins to attempt the impossible. He's going to endeavor to describe the Lord of glory in terms that you and I can understand. I can't imagine what, what, what was going through his mind as he's trying to get all of this down. But first he describes his garment there in verse 13. Jesus appears clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Now this is the attire of both a king and a priest. This is the attire that they would have worn. And so as a king, Jesus is our sovereign Lord. He is in absolute control and he rules today even though the world may not recognize him. He rules and he reigns. Jesus is sovereign over his church. Jesus is sovereign over the world. And as priest, Jesus is our man on the inside. He, he, he is our intercessor. He's the one who prays for us in heaven day by day. So when we see him, 
We see our high priest. We see our king. But also he describes his head and his hair in verse 14. It speaks of his purity and of his eternal nature. We are reminded that our Lord is sinless. We're also reminded, though, that he is ageless. The vision of Jesus identifies him as is identified there in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, as the ancient of days. This is who John is trying to describe, the ancient of days. He is the one who has always existed, does exist, and always will exist. That baby, Jesus, who was placed in a manger there in Bethlehem, is the same one who stood on nothing and created everything in the beginning. This is our Jesus He is timeless. He is eternal. John talks about his head. That head was laid on Mary's breast for comfort as a child. That head had no real place to rest during his earthly ministry. That head was crowned with thorns and his own blood mixed with spittle from his enemies. That head was laid in a cold, dark tomb and was covered by a napkin. And one day, Brinesburg, one glorious day, that head will be adorned with many crowns. And I look forward to that day. But also we notice in verse 14, his eyes. They speak of his omniscience, his intelligence, his perception. Nothing is hidden from from his gaze. Not a Zacchaeus in a tree, not a Peter next to a fire, and not a heart of a critical Pharisee. No, he sees every motive. He sees every sin. He sees every secret in our hearts and in our lives. Those eyes were damp with tears for Lazarus, for Jerusalem, and for us. Those eyes still see everything in our lives today. You may be able to hide it from your family, from your spouse, from your friends, from your preacher, but you don't hide it from your Jesus. He knows. He sees. So you might as well get right with him. But also we see in verse 15, his feet, brass or or bronze, it speaks of in the Bible. And those two things always speak of judgment. The the, the brazen serpent there in Numbers chapter 21 was a symbol of the sin of the people being judged by the chastisement of God. Jesus appears here in the midst of his church as one having the authority to judge. He sees all, and when he sees that which displeases him, He exercises his authority as king and lord, and he moves in judgment to set things right. And so those precious feet of Jesus, those those precious feet touched this earth for the first time as a baby. They carried him along the dusty pathways of Israel as he ministered and as he preached to the people. They carried him to the top of Mount Calvary where those feet felt the scar, the searing pain of the nails driven through them. Those feet were last seen as they ascended back to the Father in heaven. And for the last 2,000 years, those feet have felt nothing but the golden streets of that glorious place. And soon those feet will ride the clouds back to this world when Jesus calls his bride to himself. And one day those feet will again touch this earth. Those feet will once again walk in this world. And he will come in power to judge sin and Satan and sinfulness of man as he treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God as he comes as a judge. But also we see in verse 15 his voice. We notice that when John first 
hears the voice. He hears it as described as a sounding like a, a trumpet. And his voice came demanding John's attention. Now John describes the voice as sounding like the sound of, of many waters. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Niagara Falls. Um, I've never had the opportunity uh, to go to Niagara Falls. We're going to get there uh, one of these days, but we haven't been yet. But my sister's been and, and describes that, that those falls uh, as, as something that just drowns out all other noise. 12 million cubic feet of water per minute flowing over that falls to crash down upon the rocks below. It becomes the only sound that is heard, and really it becomes the only sound that matters. That is the sound that John heard. The voice of Jesus. Today, many men turn a deaf ear to his voice. But church, there is coming a day when he will speak, and his voice will be the one that will not be ignored. It cannot be ignored. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him as Lord at the sound of his voice. This is the same voice that spoke this world into existence. This is the same voice that declared redemption's work complete when he said it is finished. This is the same voice that will call the bride up to glory. This is the voice that will be the most cruel ever heard. In the ear of the lost man. But it will be the most precious ever heard by those of us who have been saved by his amazing grace. And I'm glad. I'm glad that I heard that sweet, sweet voice. As a nine-year-old boy at Hardin Baptist Church right down the road. I heard that precious voice call my name. And I'm glad that when I heard that voice that I said yes, and I began to follow Jesus that day. I'm grateful that I will hear that voice at the end of the way as he says, welcome home. I'm looking forward to that day, and I pray that I will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. But also we see his hands there in verse 16. In his right hand, the hand that speaks of power, Jesus holds, it says, seven stars. Now, those stars are identified for us. We know what they are because they're identified for us in verse 20. They're the angels of the seven churches. Now, some people believe that that's speaking of each church having a guardian angel. Others feel that that's speaking of the pastors of those churches. I believe it's pretty clear that he's speaking of the pastors of those churches because of everything else that he is saying here. Jesus is pictured as holding his servants as we see here, in his hand, that he's protecting them by his power. And I praise the Lord for that as a pastor, that I am being protected by the precious hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. The people, John, that he's writing to were undergoing, again, severe persecution. We haven't felt anything like the persecution that the church was feeling under these Roman emperors. They were being killed. They were being cast into the lines uh, for, for the entertainment of the people. I mean, it was an awful time. The people were scared. They were terrified. And they needed the reassurance as they struggled to continue to be faithful to the Lord. But do you and me have that same strength to follow through persecution as they did? It comforts our hearts, I hope, to know that we are in the safe hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. That whatever we're going through, we are in the safe hand of the Lord. Those hands that formed man from the dust of the earth 
touched the lepers and opened the blinded eyes, fed the multitudes and were eventually nailed to the cross are the same hands that hold you and the same hands that hold me this morning. And when you are in his hand, you're in a place of absolute safety and protection. But then in verse 16, he also speaks of his mouth. We're told that a sharp two-edged sword comes from the mouth of the glorified Christ. This reminds us that he is coming not with words of peace and blessing, but with words of righteousness and of judgment. When Jesus came the first time, he came with a message of peace. He came with a message of salvation. The next time he comes, he will judge the world with a word from his mouth. We won't have to fight. All he'll have to do is speak. Like the thrust of a sharp sword that can slice to the bone and bring instant death, one day Jesus will speak and his enemies will be utterly destroyed by the sound of his voice. Just as he said, let there be light and light appeared, he will speak and the victory will be won. The word of God, hated by the atheists and the agnostic and the infidel and the liberal, will one day be the standard by which all men will be judged, whether they like it or not. The word of God will judge man someday. But also we see his face there in verse 16. We see his face. John says that the face of the Lord of glory was like looking into the full force of the sun. You ever tried to do that as a kid? Hopefully as an adult you knew better. But as a kid trying to look into the sun, and you're like, whoa, that's so bright. Oh, that hurts, you know. That's what's being spoken of here. That's how bright, that's how glorious, that's how glorified we're speaking of the Lord here. John had seen this face before. When Jesus was transfigured there in Matthew chapter 17, John was there. When Jesus came to the earth and when he was born in Bethlehem, we know that he concealed that glory beneath the robe of human flesh. But when he came the first time, he was approachable. We know that anyone who wished to come into his presence could come, and they did. We're told that little children, little ones, would just run up to Jesus. Rich rulers would run up to Jesus Religious leaders would saunter up to Jesus. Poor people would come to Jesus. Sick people would come to Jesus. Even the socially outcast lepers could approach Jesus whenever they desired. He was approachable. But when he came, comes again, when he comes again, sinful men will not even be able to look upon him, much less approach him. You see, when Jesus came the first time, his face was that of a common man. His enemies plucked the beard from his face and they spit in that face. His face was beaten in streaks of his own blood. It was left. But it was that face that caused Isaiah to cry out and say, Woe is me! It was that face that caused Job to say, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes see thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job chapter 42 verses 5 and 6. And one day wicked men will cry for the mountains to fall on them and hide them from his glorious face. One day we will see that face. One day we will. And when we do, there will be no bruises. There will be no spittle. There will be no blood. When we see that face, we will see him in his glory. And we will be able to behold his glory because we will be like him in that day. I look forward to that day. Amen. But also we see, secondly, 
the Lord of glory in His mercy. The Lord of glory in His mercy. Notice John's reaction. John does what any sinner would do in the presence of the Lord. He faints. We're told that he faints dead. He faints like a, like a dead man. Lost men make their boast and shake their puny fist in the face of God now. But the day is coming when every God-hater and Christ-rejecter will bend their knee in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. John simply demonstrates for us that all sinners will do one day. We will fall on our face before the Lord. You may not understand this now, but there's coming a day when hell will be a welcome relief for the lost sinner who has to stand before Jesus on Judgment Day someday. And by the way, I'm glad. I'm glad that I have already bowed the knee to Jesus. I'm glad that I have the opportunity to bow the knee before Jesus every single day. As I've told you a few weeks ago, I don't bow my knee before anyone else. No political leader, no political movement will I bow my knee to. But I will bow my knee every time I think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He is worthy. No man, no movement. Only the Lord Jesus is worthy. And I'm grateful that I have that opportunity. But again, we see that one day, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. So let's bow today. But also we see Christ's reassurance. I love this right here. When John faints like a dead man, Jesus does what he always does. And some of you need need to hear that this morning. He speaks peace to his child. You see that? When we fear and when there's turmoil in our heart and in our soul, Jesus speaks peace. Think about this. Jesus takes his right hand. It's the hand in which he protects his servants. We've already been told that. He takes that right hand and he tenderly touches John. And as he does that, he speaks to John. And that same voice that thunders with power and with authority as a trumpet and as the sound of many waters, that same voice that will one day rule the nations, that same voice ministers peace into the heart of John. That was not the first time that John had heard Jesus speak the word peace. John had heard him say, peace, be still. And a raging sea lay down like a little puppy at the feet of Jesus. We see that that same peace dispelled the fear of the disciples that they had felt that night. He heard his, that, that voice say, peace be unto you on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And that peace drove away all the doubts and the fears that John and the other disciples had felt about Jesus' death. And now, Jesus, and now we see that John hears Jesus speak again, peace. And this time the word peace lets John know that he has nothing to fear. Nothing to fear from Jesus. Jesus has not come as judge to John, but as redeemer and as a friend. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Jesus may be King of Kings, but he's also our friend. Isn't that amazing? He's our friend. He may be sovereign Lord of the universe, but we're also his his little brother, his little sister. He is our elder brother. 
He may be the God who moves in power and glory, accomplishing things that our minds cannot even comprehend, but he still has the time to touch our every need. And he still has the time to extend his hand into our lives and to encourage us and to speak peace to our troubled hearts. But then thirdly, I want you to see the Lord of glory in his ministry. And we're going to speak at this uh, in much more length this evening, but just let me touch on it real quick this morning. This last section pictures Jesus in his work. And these verses tell us who he is and what he does. First, he is the reigning one. He says, I am the first and the last. John is reminding us that, that Jesus is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. He is the one who has always been and the one who always will be. So Jesus stands as the great bookend on either side of history. Kings may come and kings may go. Presidents are elected and, and presidents go out of office. But Jesus has and is and always will reign forever. He is timeless and he is eternal. But also he is the resurrected one. He says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. See, Jesus did something no one else has ever done. He entered into death on his own terms and in his own time, in his own way. And he walked out of death again when he was ready. Something only God can do. He died on the cross and then he rose again from the dead. And thank God, he lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives salvation to impart you ask me how i know he lives he lives within my heart what precious words for us to remember this morning but also he is the redeeming one he says i am he that liveth and was dead jesus died but his death was not like the death of others throughout the history of the world he died not for himself but he died for others he went to that cross to pay a price that he did not owe for people who owed a price that they could not pay. He gave his all for those who had nothing to offer. He paid the whole price to redeem his people from their sins. And he accomplished through one offering what millions of gallons of animals' blood had never been able to and never would be able to accomplish. He paid the full redemption price for all those who would call on him by faith. But also we see that he is the remaining one. He says, I am alive forevermore. When every ruler and every subject have faded from the fabric of the ages, and when every rich man and every poor man have been erased from the memory of time, when every kingdom and every deed have been forever diluted by the streams of history, we see here that Jesus Christ will still be Lord, and he will still be God. He is the remaining one. So don't worry about something happening to him and him being defeated. When the dust of time has been swept into the dustpan of eternity, Jesus will still be the King of kings. He will still be the Lord of lords. And that ought to bring comfort to every child of God and strike terror into the heart of every demon and every sinner that he is Lord. But also he is the releasing one. Notice what he says here. He says, I have the keys of hell and of death. Keys speak of access. Keys speak of authority. In fact, I've got some keys here this morning. I've got keys to a lot of different things. And, and you know what these keys do? These keys give me access 
into places that others cannot go. I've got the key to my house here. I've got the key to my office here. I've got the key to storage sheds here. I've got the keys to places in this church that I've probably never been on here. These keys give me access to places that others cannot go because they do not have the keys. Well, the same is true of Jesus. Jesus Christ describes that to us. You see, it is he, it is Jesus who decides all the issues of life and death. He determines who lives and he determines who dies. Because Jesus entered death and conquered it, he possesses the keys of death. And because he entered the place where the dead reside and he walked out again, he holds the keys of hell. Jesus is the key man. You see, he is a good man to know because he is the key man. Because I know him, I cannot go to hell. He's locked that door. Praise the Lord, I can never experience hell. I hope you're, are any of you thankful for that this morning? The door for the saved, the door to hell is locked for us. But praise God, because he entered the place. Because he went into Calvary. Because he died for my sins. I know that he has unlocked the gates to that glorious city. And because I am his child, I get to walk in. Not because of anything holy about me, but because I know the key man. Because I know Jesus. Did you know that he holds the keys to every grave in this world? He is able to raise your loved ones from the dead. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. I, there's so many funerals where I've read those verses because they're just so comforting. To know that he holds the keys that's going to allow our loved ones to join us. Did you know that he has unlocked the door between life and death for all of his people? And when I reach the end of this life, I will be able to step out of this earthly life and into that heavenly life because he has already opened the door. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that I worship a man named Jesus, a God-man who is the door. As we finish up this morning, I saw a story this week, and the father, and he was attempting to have a little bit of peace on a Sunday morning, trying to read the Sunday newspaper, and his little girl, a small little child, was doing what small little girls do, constantly interrupting him and asking him questions. I don't know anything about that. But trying to get a little bit of peace, he found a map of the world. And he took some time to get some peace later, and he cut out all the little parts of the world. And he placed them on a table, and he said, Sweetheart, try to put the world back together. He went back, sat back down in his easy chair, got comfortable. And she came right back with a map of the world completely put together. And he said, Sweetheart, how did you do that so quickly? You know nothing of geography. How did you put a map of the world back together so quickly? She said, oh, I didn't realize it was a map of the world. I just flipped it over on the other side. It was a picture of Jesus. And I knew if Jesus was put back together, the world would be just fine. 
you know what? That's the truth. When Jesus is in the proper place in our lives, everything else is going to be just fine. Though it feels like the world is being pulled apart at its seams, though your life feels like it's being pulled apart at the seams, if Jesus is where he ought to be, preeminent on the throne in your life and in your heart, everything else is going to be just fine. The Lord of glory. John does a fabulous job of trying to use human words to describe the majesty of our Lord. Do you know him this morning? If you don't, I I pray that you would come. I pray that you'd come, and again, I'll I'll put my mask on, and we'll answer any questions that you may have. If you're watching on television, if you're um, with us on Facebook Live this morning, I got my phone in my pocket. You let us know, and and we'll counsel with you just like you're here, okay? So you just let us know that. Um, But if you're lost, I want you to come this morning. If there's another need on your heart, I want you to come this morning. If you need to join this church family, I want you to come this morning. But maybe you just need to spend some time here at this altar this morning. Maybe you just need to spend some time thanking him for who he is. The Lord of glory. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for who you are and for all that you've done for us. And Lord, this morning I know there are many needs in this place. The chief among them is salvation. Lord, there's individuals who need to accept you as Savior and as Lord. And so, Lord, I pray for those who have never made that decision to come today those who have never met this glorious Savior named Jesus, that they would come today. But some of us just have burdens, and we need to lay them down, recognizing that this same glorious Lord cares about our every need, and He can speak peace into our lives just as He did into the life of John. Lord, I pray that You would do a work as only You can do in this this congregation this morning, those that are watching today. Lord, just work in our hearts, work in our lives. And we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing, respond as the Lord's called you. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with your relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.